Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Harris, and it is my true honor and pleasure to host you here on the Growth Mindset Podcast. I talk to amazing individuals about how they achieve their dreams and break down the strategies it takes to lead explosive tech businesses to being paid to travel the world. I deep dive into topics such as Bitcoin and fintech, or just how to get stuff done with the goal of increasing our own collective wisdom and making us all happier, healthier, and wealthier. Who doesn't want that? On the mic today, we have Matt Saluzai, the CEO of Crowd Emotion, a tech startup in London that tracks human emotional data. It's pretty cool technology, and currently it's mainly used for just business use cases like user experience or media engagement, such as a user watching a piece of TV. The creator can see where the viewer was happy or sad or scared, and then the creator can improve the content to really hit the emotions they want. In the long term, CrowdEmotion really wants to give ownership of personal emotion insights to the users so they can improve their own lives. So be it locking you out of your email when you're angry or helping you de-stress with your correct music or rating movies for you and predicting what the best thing to watch right now would be based on your current mood. So very cool. I worked for CrowdEmotion for six months over 2016. I basically hustled my way into the company and joined doing pretty much everything. We didn't actually have any specific role outlined and we're just a startup willing to take a chance on someone. And I ended up bum tagging Matt, the CEO, and helping with most things really, like managing the tech team, delivering marketing, sales, and being a secretary. And I ended up taking the role of product manager. But during my time there, he taught me so many things and I just really wanted to um, have a deeper conversation with him and get some of his amazing experience to you guys, the listeners, so you could learn more. It was so great to catch up with him a year later and distill some of his amazing knowledge and stories into a podcast ready for you guys today. So without further ado, here we go. Can I start again? Yeah. Great. Right, I'm Matt Saluzak, 33 years old, from Canada, living in London. And I'm on a personal mission to help people and technology come together with a very people-first mentality. Okay. And so what does that entail? It entails being able to, better way to put it is people and technology are merging. And it's about creating an infrastructure and a technology that recognizes people at a human level rather than strictly because of their behaviors and their actions. So that uh, it, when technology can understand how you feel or what your sentiment is, uh, it can empathize with you. And by empathizing with you, it can give you very personalized solutions. So we're looking at a very personalized future that is very individualistic. Okay. And how are you going to make that happen? Yeah, it starts with the advancements in artificial intelligence. You can start to allow a machine to extract body language features and start to apply that to psychological models so that you can understand that when somebody smiles that they're more likely to buy a product. Yeah, so that's what you're doing with the current project. Yes, so the current project is called Crowd Emotion, and Crowd Emotion uh, takes a look at, enables kind of sensor devices like webcams or microphones to see, hear, and feel the way that a human does and learn other people's emotional responses the way that you would your friends or your family members. Okay, cool. So, slightly big brothery, but 
in a nice way? Yeah, I yeah. think, well, I mean, I think it all depends on who owns the data. So we're very big believers that the data should be private and entirely yours. And in fact, one of the biggest projects, the technological projects that we're working on is making all of this type of capability possible on your device alone so that it doesn't actually have to go back to the cloud. Okay. So what gave you this idea initially? Was, have you always thought about some psychology and how humans can be happier with existing technologies? Well, actually, it was less about how they could be happier. It's more about the negative impact that technology, current technologies have on people. So right now, when you deal with a, any sort of piece of technology, and, and let, let's be very clear here, technology is anything that is a man-made invention that exists that was not naturally or biologically existing in the world before uh, humans. So technology is a building that you're living in. Technology is uh, artificial fire. Technology is a tool. And each piece of technology has value. A lot of our technology today is digital, and the value is often extracted by binary input, so by typing or pointing and, and clicking a mouse. The next iteration and version of that is to do things very naturally. So being able to just talk to a machine, talk to a wall, talk to your house, have your vehicle understand exactly how you feel to play the right type of music on your way to work so that you're in the right mindset for your first meetings, you're with other people. But everything is around personalizing it to you so that you can spend less time trying to tell the machine what to do and more time just thinking about what you need to do. So what was your background to lead up to this then? What were you doing that made you see the opportunity for this business model? Well, oddly enough, um, I come from a technology family and I wanted nothing to do with technology. I went down the personal route, so I did my degree in anatomy and physiology and human kinetics. And it was really interested in the body and how the body worked. And then I went into understanding, well, how the body works and how people feel and then how that drives their daily lives which then full circle brings you back to how people interact with technology, given that over eight hours a day, people are on a technological device, particularly a digital one. So I wanted to figure out where all the friction points were between people and technology so that we can get rid of them. And how did you go? So you, is this your first business? Yes. First so one I, that I own, yeah. Yeah. How did you go from just being a person that's working for someone to just launching an AI company seems like quite a big step. It's a good question. Uh, it's not the traditional path, I guess, um, but what is a traditional path in this? As I said, I came from an entrepreneurial family. We know what the highs and lows are like in running a business, so we kind of have the fundamentals there ingrained into us. What I wanted to do is, I want, to be clear, my first job was actually built off of the business plan that I put forward to IMG, and then they told me to go build it. So I built it, and then they ended up selling off that division to KPMG. So, yes, I was working for somebody else, but, but I set my own targets yeah. and that type of stuff. But it was good because I built a product and I got to learn how to service and I did it on somebody else's coin, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and then I got moved over to a company called Vision Critical, which really, really dug into building online communities for companies and brands. And so I got really interested in how people interact with their needs and wants and purchase decisions and new product development within companies. And, uh, and I helped that company, Vision Critical. I, I focused on the sales side, so I understood sales services and product development. Um, and at the end of five years there, it was in 24 markets later, it was time for me to, well, take my savings and start my business. I came across automated neuropsychology 
while I was at Vision Critical, so about a year before I left, and I started exploring the space, and I really liked it, and I knew that I wanted to have something to do with it. So when the opportunity came around and I had enough commission checks saved up, hmm. that was the time to start this. Yeah. Okay, it's pretty bold. Were you in London at the time? What made you choose starting here? Okay. Oh, no, so I was in London at the time, and then I went back to Canada and was going to start the whole thing in Canada, but I, as much as I love Canada, God, it's a great place. It, it's not the epicenter of commerce, and if you're going to bootstrap a business, so again, I didn't believe in the traditional model of over-financing a business and selling some very expensive, or receiving some very expensive money equity-wise. I wanted to build a business similar to the way my parents did, which is work from the ground up, build on your profits as much as you can. I have since learned that artificial intelligence requires <laughs> a little bit more finances than I'd initially had intended. But at the same time, it, we're very pragmatic financially. Uh, we're a much more debt finance business and, and building and actually hitting our, our break-even point this year than most AI companies. But we also still own over 80% of the company. So mm. I'm very happy with that. Yeah, so you bootstrapped it most of the way without raising any significant investment? There's no institutional investor part mm. of the company. Nope. So yeah, yeah, four years bootstrap. My, all I have to do is give a lot of testament to the people that work with me, past and present. They made the ultimate sacrifice in a career, took a massive leap of faith, jumped on a plane that was falling off the cliff while we were building it, and in some cases parachuted out, and in other cases they're still on the ride. And I Every single one of our employees ever it just has a perseverance and a grit that I, you just don't see in the corporate world. It's mm. awesome. Cool. Do you think that's partly due to your selection process or partly due to the process that you gave them whilst they were on board with you at Crowd Emotion or a mix? I think you probably have to ask them. Okay. Um, I think everybody does it for a different reason. Mm. My feel is that if you set a massive vision, and particularly for young people, give them an opportunity to really have a lot of ownership in their role that they wouldn't get necessarily in big corporates, you can learn a lot about yourself in an organization. And, and when you're early for a market like we were, and when you're a young company like we are, the culture is highly defined by those who come through it. And they leave uh, traces of their DNA throughout the whole thing. And I think it's really important that you allow that to flourish to get a sense of who you are. Do you have any interview tips or a favorite question? If I was to give you half a million pounds, what would you do with it? Okay. So are you asking me that to me or is that just like general favorite question? That's my favorite question. Okay, cool. What would be your answer to your favorite question? And you can't just say I'd invest in animation. <laughs> I wouldn't though. No? No, I wouldn't. There are some fundamental aspects of, there's some fundamental challenges of projects that I'd like to work on that Crowd of Motion at this point in time would not be able to sustain as part of its core strategy. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other thing that I would really, really like to do is I still want to go and get a plot of land in Canada and host marginalized kids, but even, or, or marginalized people who don't have the opportunity to experience the outdoors because it can really, really help people work through a lot of personal challenges. And I think you give them even a two-week space to come out there and enjoy it. And I think there's a lot that you can do. And it's not an expensive operation to run. So do you feel 
running a tech startup in central London that you've been lacking the time and space to go to outdoors or that it would help you? I've got a wonderful girlfriend who solves that for me. To give you an idea, last week, last weekend, just this past weekend, we spent a full day down on West Wittering Beach, yeah. which is awesome, by the way, and one of the only sandy beaches on the South Coast. I hope that this podcast isn't too popular. <laughs> so, <laughs> for only that reason. And then on uh, Sunday, on Sunday, we ran from Loughton to Harlow for 15 miles through Epping Forest. So, wow. I think if you put a little bit extra time into it, you will find that, that the UK has a lot to offer. So, yes, I was when I first started Crowd Emotion. I do not miss it anymore because I got a lot of it. Spent the weekend before that in Wales. Nice. A month ago before that was in Wales. And then, of course, you can travel anywhere. Like we were in Banks, Poland, uh, three weeks ago. It's just amazing. Cool. That's really good to hear. So I think London actually provides great opportunity for commerce. I think personally I'm going to probably move out of London, but keep the office here. So the commercial side and the fun side and the city side is important to have. Mm. But it's also important to reconnect with yourself offline. Yeah. Where do you want to base yourself? Anywhere where they'll give me a barn that I could do whatever I want with. Like Special project. Wales? Canada. Potentially. Potentially, potentially. Yeah, that's really awesome to hear because you, um, yeah, like a year or two ago, it was definitely not such a case. No. Nice. So, um, how difficult has it been not having investment in <laughs> trying to get the right conversations going with people? We're working on a project, so, I mean, for the benefit of any one listening to the podcast. Crowd emotion does two things. It generates emotional data and it links emotional data to contextual data like behaviors, attitudes, or environment. So if you smile, does it drive a particular business metric or uh, what in a piece of creative will help somebody smile when or drive happiness. So that's what we do. Um, so we're actually not on a lack for clientele. In fact, the, the biggest challenge we have is, is saying no to the right clients. The when it comes to investment, yes, it's difficult because um, investors they, they like really traditional business models, and this is not one of those. So you have to have pretty blue sky investors who understand their way forward. And uh, to be perfectly honest, after speaking to most of the UK investors, I have not seen the future thinking here that we are certainly seeing and hearing uh, in the valley. Yeah, but there are some gems, and I have found a couple who I really, really like here, and I hope that we'll be able to get to the right terms that we need to. Okay, cool. How do you deal with nerves when it comes to pitching? Uh, just be well prepared. One of the biggest things that you need to know is that if customers are con consistently buying your product and if you are able to help them not only just use your product, but actually promote your product, which they are, then it's the exact same reason why an investor is going to get involved. So don't treat them differently. Everybody needs to understand why emotions are important inside a machine. And so for us, we just go through the classic narrative about the stuff that we know and really, really be honest about the stuff you don't know, I think is just follow those principles and actually the nerves tend to go away. Have you read any specific books that have helped you along the way? One of my favorite books always has been The Alchemist. It's so cliche, but I bloody well love it. But actually, Creativity Inc., really enjoy that. What's that about? Uh, that's about Catmull's rise to uh, kind of Pixar CEO and then kind of transition into Steve Jobs and, and kind of how they handle culture. 
inside a, a business that's all about kind of telling really, really good stories, but best-in-class technology. And I think that's quite relevant to us as a business. Always loved Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Howitz. Absolutely fantastic book. And then if you want to really nerd out on the stuff that we do, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Conley. And then if you want to get super close, Patrick Fagan has written a book called Hooked, which I quite like. And it's just very practical for any kind of marketer to take notes from the academic community about the experiments used to show kind of why people make decisions and how to draw their attention, how to get through their nervous system into their logic system and that type of stuff. It's really good. Are there any stories that you like to tell people when you're trying to teach them like an important lesson that you understand well but you feel they haven't got, like maybe one of your employees or something? I think every employee is different. So some employees work really well with metaphors. And other employees work really well with authoritarian type of standpoint. And other employees work really well with discovery, where you just actually ask a question and they go and figure it out. Yeah. I think it really depends. I'm trying to think. Because I remember you definitely told me some useful things. And I can't remember which one's my favorite. Slash everything. <laughs> <laughs> definitely got some things ingrained in me, like, just be to the point when you're doing an email rather than, like, yeah, sending a really long one. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a lesson hard learned, and even I still get carried away and catch myself sending emails. I wish I had an, an email client that basically highlighted when I was over five sentences and just started highlighting it in yellow, and then yeah. it got red when it was over, like, 20 sentences. <laughs> Too much information. People like bite-sized information. Mm. Yeah, there's, yeah for, for me, I think it's, it's really, really important to just kind of build yourself some core principles that you operate on and then work from there. But you're going to iterate. Yeah, what are your core principles? Uh, first and foremost, be firm but fair. Yeah. If you're ever going to run a, a company, if you're ever going to work with people, always be firm but fair. Always love your employees. When a customer treats my employees poorly, I get emotional about it. And I do lash out at the customer because my employees, they've given everything. And so they're learning. Everybody's learning. Nobody's perfect. So have definitely a high degree of forgiveness and help people overcome their challenges. Also be firm but fair. You have to be really careful. There's no, I mean, look, all these phrases, they work for some people and they don't work for others. It all is dependent on a persona type. We have some employees that if they were more firm, they'd be absolutely militant. We have other employees, if they were, if they tried to be more fair and were conscientious of trying to be more fair, it probably would be counterintuitive to who they are. And actually who they are drives the right type of behavior. Yeah. If I could, well, I'm going to put you back in your body. It doesn't really matter when exactly, but I'm going to take your memories, all of them, and take you back in time, and you're going to live your life again. Mm. Is there anything you would definitely not do outside of butterfly effect? You'll still, like, do everything else the same and meet all the right people. Really. I would have started this earlier. I would have started building a business early. In fact, when I went to university, I wanted to build a business. My parents convinced me to go back to university and get the degree. I appreciate their advice on that one, and I appreciate them for that. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. However, I would be the CEO of a 45 million pound construction firm. Yeah. At quite a young age. So, yes and no. I would have liked that experience. That said, 
one thing that emotions and measuring emotions teaches you is that people operate on a time series, not points in time. So every even memories change mm. depending on your perspective. So how yeah, you read a memory, it changes. So that's why that's one thing I find fascinating about history is history is just about when you read it and when it's written. Okay, is there anything that you would definitely be sure to do the same again outside of just relationships? If I was definitely sure to do something the same again in my past? Yeah. It could be like a holiday that was amazing and you found yourself or one of my biggest problems is I've always was always pushing upwards to somebody else's opinion of uh, what a better me would be. Mm. And it, it took crowd emotion to kind of break that and say, actually, it's not about what other people think. It's about what you actually want to do and who you actually want to be. And then it's out on you to focus on that. And so I would have spent less time trying to please other people. At the same time, I would have absolutely made some of the same moves that I've made uh, because it's taught me some very, very good lessons. <laughs> Hard lesson, good lesson. I would have spent probably a little bit more time in sport, I think. But I also think the the best move that I did make was actually moving out of sport in the first year of university. So you used to be like really big on sport? Yeah. Used to play a lot of baseball and I used to uh, rode for junior varsity at our university, at University of British Columbia, which is a rowing school. Okay. Is there any one quality that you wish you were better at? <laughs> Only one. God. You could do the top five if you want. Yeah. Uh, I, it in. I mean, how long do we have? <laughs> no, I think if people can't reflect long enough to understand there's things that they need to improve, then they're not really in tune with who they are and how and, and, and their perception and others' perception on the world. So for me, listen more, talk less. Uh, I'd like to do a lot more of that. I, that's probably actually the biggest one. It's the biggest one I'm working on right now. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, before, the, a couple of ones that I really am happy about that we've kind of fi figured out is I stopped getting really, really caught up in the details of our business and really just trusting a lot of people with it, which has helped us move at like rapid speed over yeah. where we could have. I think sometimes de-emotionalizing the business choice from the personal implication, I think, mm -hmm. is something else that I'd like to work on a little bit more. And then really, really, really clear communication. If your house was to catch fire, yeah, uh, what one thing would you say? My flatmate. Okay, people are all fine. Pets are also fine. <laughs> like what, like small item or thing you don't want to live without? My passport. It <laughs> <laughs> happens to already be in your back pocket. It's... Oh, lovely! <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be difficult. I've actually thought about this scenario, and it yeah. literally is just my passport. Passport, um, maybe phone if it's easy. No, actually, keys. fuck the phone. Yeah, convenient. Yeah, keys you don't need because the place is burned down. Keys to your other apartment. <laughs> yeah, you want I, somewhere to go. I wish. Um, no, I, I think if there is anything kind of sentimental that I was going to take with me, I'd love to take with me, it's actually this watch. Yeah? Yeah. Oh. Is that... Given by your father or something? Yep, exactly. Father gave it to me, bought it in 1970. It was given to me when I started my company. When I went out to, I went out to work on my own and started my company. I don't know, it's a rite of passage, so it reminds me of the family. Yeah, so you're going to pass it on to your son? Oh, yeah. We're engraving all this stuff. And passing yeah? It. Yeah. Cool. That's exciting. Yep. Okay, can you name three things that we have in common? 
that you and I have in common. Yeah. We both are very curious about the world. Mm. Second thing is we love bettering ourselves. For us, the challenge is actually completing the task. We're really, really interested in the journey of getting there. And third, we do love traveling. Mm. So those would be the three that I would say. Cool. That's pretty, pretty accurate, I think. Yeah, how quickly do you find you can gauge people in, as to whether you can work with them just to backtrack to? I use a cheeky little method, which most people don't like. But if people are given the space, they'll be able they'll be able to put on a very polite front. If you really want to get to know people, put them in a tough spot right away. Sink or swim. People hate it. Absolutely hate it. They don't like being pushed around like that. It can come across as bullying uh, and whatnot, but it certainly gives you a read on how somebody's going to respond and react right away. So then you know how to essentially make sure they don't get there. Yeah. And they can always be seen as, as a champion. It can be used maliciously too, and I have seen it used maliciously. But when I do it, I, I push people so that I can get at really, really true gut reaction answers because that's kind of where people sit uh, on how they will communicate when they're pushed too far. But then that way I know very quickly, well, if that's their type of response and that's their type of reaction, I can work with that. I can work with anything else they're going to bring to the table. Okay, cool. Do you remember what you did for me like that? No. Okay. I can remember one thing, but I was I second guessed it a lot. I was just trying to work out what you're even doing. When you asked me to like work to the every single night of the week and like to be like with clients all the time and I was like, Is he serious? Is this a test just to see if I'll say no or yes? Like I really couldn't tell if you were being serious or not. And like <laughs> I definitely overthought it a lot. Well it told me that you think about things. Mm. It's only that you're quite cerebral first and you plan first before executing. And I would I would argue that one of the, the challenges I think that we face when we're working the business together is we need a much more execution-oriented, super execution-oriented. Not sexy, not necessarily fun for a lot of people. Jing had the same issue with clients and spending evenings with them and, mm. and that type of stuff. But three to five nights of my week, I'm out with clients, yeah, and that's why we're still here. <laughs> and a lot of them become friends, to be honest. So, I don't know, you build your friend group and they often circle kind of what you do. But if you're gonna be, you want know, your business to be really successful, you're gonna have to have friends in and outside. You still need a balanced life. And I actually do something called the personal compass with my employees now, which, which allows us to uh, take a look at essentially there's eight main influencers and drivers on your life, and it allows us to dig into each one so we can see where you're at today and where you would ideally, where in your perfect world, where would you like to be? And then we see where the big gaps are. So we can work on those. That's cool. Can yeah. you send me an example of that so I can put it in there? Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I was actually, I have to give credit to my girlfriend, Dr. Helen Gilpin. Yeah. Who's a clinical neuropsychologist. And she was the one, as I was explaining to her, my challenge with this was to crowd emotion oriented. And she's like, yeah, great. So here's a tool that we use often with our assessment with patients around depression, stuff like that, uh, to understand where imbalances in people's lives. And she goes, and then it makes it very easy to address the problem. So you can just literally link it to an activity. Mm. And that's exactly what we do. It works like a charm. Works really well. Back to like the spending lots of time with clients, but actually they kind of just become your friends anyway. Sometimes. Sometimes, Sometimes. they don't. Do you feel like a bit, you know, sort of 
celebrities kind of just hang around like a celebrity cloud that sometimes your life's a bit fake if you're constantly sort of hanging around with like sort of CEOs of other companies and what do you think you just naturally have more in common with those people now that you're doing something and it's just easier to relate to them? I, I don't think I have any more in common with the CEOs of other companies than I do with the kid down the street. You hang around, it, it is again, again about, about time management and I don't think it's fake. I think things are only fake if you make them fake. If you're genuine to yourself, it doesn't matter what environment or social group you're in, that's who you're genuine with. So I guarantee you there are other CEOs out there who like kite surfing. There are other CEOs mm. out there who like going for a hike. You'll find them. Yeah, like I found like instead of prioritizing doing like necessarily business meetups and things, just going rollerblading and climbing lately, I'm still finding yeah. cool people doing the same there. things and it's just as arguably a useful evening spent doing that as it is going to like Google Campus and attending some event. So uh, just to be clear, I don't go to Google Campus and attend events. Probably should, but mm. I don't. But I didn't extract much personal value out of it. Where I am extracting value out is, you know, when a client is facing a challenge, and I like to help them noodle through it on how, you know, someone who's outside the business would look at it. I enjoy a business challenge, so when people ask me to solve business problems or other founders ask me to solve a business problem, I really enjoy digging into that. But that's that's where I do it. Then I have my own group as well who, you know, I got a friend who's a really good PR specialist, but we just love barbecue, so we just go eat a lot of barbecue. That's what we do. We yes. hang out. Another buddy who, he, is, he actually turns out he's running his own business. He's an ex-management consultant, super bright, and just really wanted to blend kind of leisure athletics uh, with social activity. Runs a really cool group now that I'm actually using with my employees as part of their socials. So, you know, the social events that you brought in, they've stuck. Yeah, yeah good move. So, yeah, we're we're just I'm planning different types of socials and he's often part of that plan. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, your life is pretty short. Your days are numbered. Mm. So hang out with people you want to hang out with, both at work and at home, and make it fun. Life will be great. Is there anything else you would like to ask me? Or Yeah. That's a good one. How are you? Good. I, uh, yeah, I'm excited for um, podcasts, generally releasing it. I've just been really enjoying meeting lots of people and getting into like deeper issues of myself and like what I really my, my life purpose in general I've had to switch a bit of it fuzzy on for a while and then excited for going to Hong Kong because I've got no idea what's really going to happen and I'm pretty sure something good will happen and yeah it's been learning a lot which as you've identified I always enjoy doing so it's just a good opportunity to doing fun things really yeah so I'm feeling pretty good about life like and I've taken up some new hobbies, climbing and rollerblading. So I haven't actually been to a gym in like two months. Nice. And been doing like social sport as opposed to just like by myself on a weights machine or running or something. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah, weight, weights machine is very impersonal. Yeah, yeah. But I do like the personal time to like listen to like podcast audio books sure. and just think. But I kind of get that from like cycling everywhere anyway. So I don't need to also have an hour in the gym. What time do you wake up in the morning? Mix. It's kind of like nine-ish at the moment. I went through a phase um, in February where I worked at 6 a.m. every day when I was 
had a job so I could just work on my personal projects. And I kind of really liked the time to be there, but I, I'm just not that good at getting to sleep. So I'm just uh, a poor sleeper in general. So I'm always bad at shifting to earlier. Not, what time do you go to sleep usually? Normally like one-ish, two-ish. It's a bit awkward. How's your sleep going? It's awesome. Yeah? Yeah. That's good because, yeah, you're getting like four hours of sleep back when I was yeah. with you. Yeah, but we, we've kind of overcome the crunch and also yeah. I've become a much better CEO. I mean, the issue was yeah. that you, only, you get four hours of sleep because you're trying to run everything. Mm. As soon as you stop trying to run everything, things move faster. <laughs> yeah. Because you realize you're actually the biggest barrier. But yeah, it was fed, it's been fantastic. My, and, and the team is amazing. Yeah. How, how did you learn that lesson? The hard way. Yeah. You eventually just shit starts to drop. Okay. And then you're just like, oh, Guess. I just can't do that. And then somebody else catches it and they actually do way better than you. Like, yeah. What am I doing? Mm. You just do this from now on. So there, there may have been times where I was sort of would have liked to have maybe punched you in the face and been like, Matt, <laughs> leave me alone, it's fine. There's also an element right. of trust. Yeah. Uh, there's a, but but again, that, that gets overcome by two people. I mean, look, as I explained to my team here, as a CEO, it's really, really interesting. Your team teaches you what they need out of the person. So it's not what it, it's not what an investor says it is. It's not what books say it is. Mm-hmm. There's not five traits to a CEO. The CEO is whatever the team needs in order to perform really, really quickly while keeping it on course. I actually always liken it to a pirate ship. Yeah. That's why certain pirates were really successful and other ones weren't. Because <laughs> a good, a good, all the pirates were different. Very, very different. They're all eclectic, had their own way. But if you, if you watch like a movie like Black Sails, you really get, you know, Jack Rackham versus Blackbeard. Very, very different leaders. But both of them made their crews run really well. And everybody's got a role, but it's also a camaraderie as well. Especially in the startup world, because <laughs> sink or swim to continue a pirate team. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's even walking the plank. Yeah, that happens a lot in startups. Are you kidding? Yeah. That was a hostile takeovers. I mean, shit, we could go all day on this one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish I could do a pirate accent right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you can. Come on. Go for it. You are. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on. I'm just thinking of Jamaican things. Like, I don't, what's going wrong with my head? It's, I don't know why I can't do accents. I How do you know if you're a pirate? I also know the answer to this, and then my mind's just doing like nothing, nothing. It's because you are. Exactly. That's that's why. Especially with that <laughs> shirt. You'd yeah, definitely be a pirate with that shirt. That's yeah. a good pirate shirt. Stripey blue and white. Yeah, you're you're rocking the pirate shirt. Just failing miserably at uh, being a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite fancy dressing as well. I think the other thing you always have to recognize is what role you play really well. Uh, you came into Crowd Motion and helping out all over the place. And then we put you, you know, we tried to put you in roles where there were gaps. But I think you also have to recognize who you are. Mm. You want to learn a lot of different things. Yeah. And you want to do a lot of different things. And Crowd Motion didn't have the room and scope for that. So yeah. there's no, there's no issue with that it's just a, an alignment challenge and whenever people are put into a role where they can't succeed and i believe everybody can fundamentally succeed at pretty much any role in business it's just that it's the timing as to when the business is ready for that role yet but if you're in the wrong role i mean i've seen people go into one role and be massively successful as soon as they're put into another role absolutely lose their career that's why i don't value careers to be honest <laughs> it's just about alignment companies can shift companies will change people will change 
just look different. Any other questions? How does it feel to be a CrowdMotion shareholder? I feel pretty good. I'm pretty happy about that. Cool. I've been enjoying the updates. And good. How yeah. do you, are the updates good? Because I get zero feedback on the updates. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel about that. The, um, no, whatever. the YouTube one was kind of funny. Like, yeah. Hi, guys. Yeah. I don't even know how this works. Yeah. It's pretty funny to watch. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, the updates are quite good. Good. It's nice. I should probably... I, I feel bad about replying because I feel like everyone else is replying anyway. And No, they're not. In fact, nobody's okay. replying. All my shareholders are like, yeah, this is great. Great information. And then when I ask them one-to-one, they say it's fine. But it's one of those things that, you know, when, when it's silent, you just have zero yeah. understanding. Yeah, I guess if we were maybe in, like... Could you have a Slack channel or something for us? Because if you put everything there and like, well, oh, maybe not Slack channel. But like yeah. more of a forum so you get to see what other people had said. Because if no one said anything, you're kind of like, oh, actually, you deserve to hear this. Then it's kind of nice to get a bit more gauge of what everyone else is yeah. saying and doing. Yeah. Yeah, I need to think about that. There's uh, There's got to be a better way to communicate business um, other than the way that it's been communicated traditionally. Mm. Without oversharing, because there's a lot of stuff that happens on day to day. You guys just don't yeah, need to yeah. know. <laughs> It'd be kind of overhead. You don't want my roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, it's just stress us out. Yeah, exactly. there'd be too much stuff going exactly. on. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Have to ignore it. Yeah. Anyway, next one's coming in the next two weeks. So cool for the Q2 update. Mm. And been liking the blog stuff as well. It's, it's good. Good. I need to get back on that. The uh, the unfortunate f- fundraising. Yeah, is a time suck because my network has been all commercial. So now I'm going to all these events where there's like really, really nice people, but it's all a whole different drinking crew that I have to work with. So I have to build that network. Well, actually, can you have more reviews on holiday and? Yeah, sure. So it's interesting. We've modified our policy a little bit. It's still a limited holiday. Like I don't really care if somebody gets the job done if they take all the time off. I, I really don't. So if Jing hits her quarter, which I. Should, Bloody well will. Within literally for two bloody months. Anyway, she hits her quota because of this massive strategic deal that's coming down the pipe. She can literally take the rest of the year off. And I really can't. I'm not gonna sit there and get in her way because I'm gonna have I'm gonna need the year to figure it all out. But so if people hit their quotas or finish their projects ahead of time and all that type of stuff, I'm not precious about holding them back. But what we have learned is that there we also have to set aside dedicated times because it's actually really hard to have collaborative productivity without with people being up so now we're setting up weeks where people can't book holidays um and we're setting up days where people can't their their lockout days yeah so we are setting yeah exactly yeah so so it's it's less about how many days you take and more about when and whether it's whether it's actually the right mechanism the right move for the business at the time most people can answer whether they can take time or not before i even have to get involved in Mm. Because it's, uh, I want to take time with this period, but I see this is coming up, and I'm going to be really busy, so I'm going to have to make sure that it's covered. So now, like, they're taking care of their own coverage plans and stuff like that, which is great. That's the way it should be. Anything that you want to tell me, like, advice that you've never got around to saying, you think, Sam, you should definitely do this more? I think get stuck in and fight through the painful periods. I mean, I think, honestly, I, I think you, you're following your path, and you should keep following your path. But I would give yourself a little bit more time to make mistakes. Life's not always exciting. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's the lack of excitement that opens up the bigger opportunities for you. Yeah. And I think with those things, that's, that's kind of that's what I'd look at. 
you're certainly going to be a skilled up person. There's no question mm -hmm. about that. You're a talented person. There's no question about it. You're smart. There's no question. But believe in yourself a little bit more and allow yourself the time to build your credibility. I think there's it's really important. A lot of people do this. So they think that they're going to be credible by participating in outside activities when actually it's just confidence is built internally. Uh, so sometimes you just have to work through the personality and yourself. And I think for you, I'd love to see you uh, find where your sweet spot is and give yourself the time to deal with the actual journey rather than always trying to meet the expectations of others. That would be, awesome. is that harsh or is that, no, no, that's really is that okay? Yeah. But I think you got to believe in yourself. And sometimes it doesn't matter what the fuck I think. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's just about whether you want, whether it's you know, in line with you or not. Awesome. Thanks. Cool, man. Yeah. On that, mate. Wrap it up? Yeah, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, also, where do we find out more about you, like Twitter? Oh, right. So we're at Crowd Emotion or at Matt Saluzak. I'll spell that C-E-L-U-S-Z-A-K. And that C is in Charlie. Or you can just check our website or give me a call. 0742-761-7985. Nice. I'm best on the phone anyway. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Awesome. That's a wrap. Thanks, dude. So that was Matt. It was definitely a pleasure to work with him every day and to learn from such an inspiring person who taught me so many lessons over our time together. I genuinely feel I could probably write a book on just the amazing insights I had from him. But for this episode, I'll give you my key take-homes. One, employees first. Matt always holds his employees before anyone else and cares so deeply about them. This overwhelming principle was the glue that kept the company together when things went tits up and it kept us all fighting for a greater cause. Knowing that your team are there for you makes such a difference. We were always welcome in his house and to chat about our issues whenever we needed. He even did little things like surprising me by turning up to one of my gigs or showing up at the airport when a new employee arrived from overseas. 2. Trust people and don't micromanage. To scale yourself successfully and operate a sound business and keep a sound mind, you have to trust others to do their work. It frees you up to focus on delivering the core things that you need to do, and it empowers others to do great work, knowing that they are responsible for delivering on important items. Matt was great at finding young, inexperienced individuals with an edge, and then getting the best out of them by giving them opportunities to grow using this technique. Three, be your own and honest self. Honesty is a theme that comes up under a lot of things in this conversation. So if you want to give a good pitch, just have all the facts to hand and be honest and be yourself. If you want to be a good networker, just do the hobbies that you honestly enjoy and don't put yourself in awkward business meetups that aren't your sort of thing. If you want to be a successful employee or a leader, just find the things that you honestly are good at and commit to doing them the best you can and don't try to fit a square peg into a round hole to please others. On books, Matt kind of rattled off some great books in pretty quick succession, so it's nice to uh, have the time to give a bit more info on them. So his first one was The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho, Coelho, I don't know how to say it, a guy called Paolo. It's a really cute and inspiring book about following your dreams and learning about the world, and perhaps a perfect example of the growth mindset in the form of an amazing fable. So definitely read it if you haven't read it, and it's suitable for any age, 
I genuinely am looking forward to reading this to my children when I have them. It's so good. Creativity Inc. Overcoming the Unseen Forces that Get in the Way of True Inspiration by Ed Catmull. A book from the founders of Pixar. It's an incisive book about creativity in business and leadership. And I'd never heard of it before and I'm pretty stoked to read this. The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. The tale of starting and growing a business to a billion dollars, losing it all, getting it back, nearly losing it again, starting another billion dollar business and basically covers that there's no recipe for success and you're defined by what you do when things go wrong. And it's just a good read. Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. This engages the reader in a lively conversation about how we think. So really poignant for people interested in crowd emotion. Uh, Kahneman reveals where we can and cannot trust our intuitions and how choices are made in both business and personal lives and how we can use different techniques to actually guard against weird mental glitches that humans have and often get us into trouble. It's really cool, like the amount of stupid stuff that you find out that you do, and it's an interesting read. And then finally, Hooked by Patrick Fagan, our own in-house psychologist at Crowd Emotion. It covers how a marketer can pull on human traits to create more effective communication from the latest neuroscience and behavioral economics research. So whether you're a marketer or a salesman, or you're just interested in having things go your way more often, it's a useful read. So I'd recommend it highly. Then in terms of contact and more information, you can find out about Crowd Emotion at crowdemotion.co.uk. Their Twitter is at crowdemotion, and they have a good medium blog called Making Senses. You can reach Matt on Twitter to talk about AI, emotions, flying planes, sports, your favorite gluten dairy free recipes. And yes, he is genuinely intolerant to both of them. He's not just a fad follower. Uh, his handle is at Matt Saluzak. Saluzak is spelled C-E-L-U-S-Z-A-K and is in the show notes anyway. Otherwise, you can reach me on Twitter at Sam Harris Tweets. See what I'm up to. I'm currently in Perth now, which is nice. Um, cool. That's the end of the episode. Take it easy, people. You've listened to an episode of the Growth Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your preferred app and give me a good rating. I would add, it's been proven that people that give good feedback demonstrate higher IQ and generally just have this irresistible gravity around them that just makes everybody want to be their friends. If you are unable to give good feedback right now, try sharing the show with a friend who will, or just wait for the show to improve. If you have any ideas for the show or you just want to reach out, I'd love to talk to you. On Twitter, I am at Sam Harris Tweets or Instagram Sam Jam Snaps. You can find the show notes on Medium if you search for the Growth Mindset Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoy your next podcast.